Um, this is the first Sunday of Advent. You probably picked up on that from the decorations and starting off with the, uh, the Christmas hymn that we sang. But, you know, we don't follow the church calendar super closely, the formal church calendar here at Downtown Presbyterian, but we do try to celebrate Advent. Advent just means arrival, and uh, this is a time where the church remembers and celebrates that God became a man, and that man arrived as a, an actual human baby, a baby boy. And we, we talk about it other times, and we sing about it other times, but we give it special focus here uh, leading up to December 25th. So uh, I want to open a passage, since this is the first Sunday of Advent, we always open a passage, but I want to open this one. And it's Psalm 72. We're going to look at this whole psalm, Psalm 72. You know, as I get a little bit older, uh, some Christmas songs and some parts of Christmas songs mean more to me, and some I'm uh, a little bit more, I hate to use this word, but I'm just going to be honest, I feel more cynical about them. You know, like as I get a little bit older, words like uh, from Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it talks about that Christ, he um, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. You know, that that means more to me than it used to. I don't feel it like I should, but I I feel it more than, than I used to. But some, uh, some I, I roll my eyes about a little bit more. And, you know, I, in fact, I heard one on the radio the other day. It was, uh, it's the, what is it? It's the, uh, da, 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 da. it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah, Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time. Should have fact-checked that before I got up here. But, uh, yeah, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And the line that got me, it's talking about, like, all the stuff we're going to do, you know, and the sleigh rides that will go on. But there's one part that it says, and there will be, that's a hard word to say, there will be. There'll, can you imagine growing up speaking Mandarin Chinese and try to say there will be? There will be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. And I just I, I consciously thought to myself, no, no, there won't. No, no, there won't. No one will be calm or composed or rested enough to tell ghost stories. I've never heard ghost stories at Christmas. And I don't know glories of Christmases long, long ago. If, now, if we had a song about frantic trips to Walgreens 10 minutes before it closes, I could sing that and resonate with it. And I sort of wonder if um, the psalm that we're about to look at may have felt that way to some Jews. Because remember, we're not the first recipients of the Bible. We're not the first recipients of Psalms. It was first the hymn book of Israel. It's their songs. And it still is. And it's ours too. But I want you to picture that you're a Jew. And you do believe in God. you know, And you do believe that you're descended from Abraham. You do believe that this stuff is real. But picture that you're living outside of Israel because you're in the Babylonian captivity and you live in another nation away from your land and away from your roots and away from your people under a pagan monarchy, (laughs) dictatorship, and you sing a song about a king of the Jews who's so wonderful that the whole world loves him. 
Or, uh, or picture, how about this? Picture that you're a Jew living in Jesus' day. Or you're one of Jesus' friends. And uh, you're in the synagogue and you, uh, you're singing this song about this king of the Jews, king of God's people, and he's so wonderful and he's so great that just the whole world loves him and feels blessed by him. And you live under Roman rule with a crummy life. And I, again, I don't know how he or she would have felt, but I wonder if it, if it felt a little bit like an eye roller. And what I want to do is, like, let the psalm be the psalm. Um, it's a psalm about, and here's where you got to be careful. It's not a psalm about God being king. And there are some psalms like that, about God being the king of the earth and of Israel and all that. But this song is about an earthly king. So let it say what it's actually saying. Let's look at this. Psalm 72. And just to give you the heads up, at the end, there's a conclusion. It's a conclusion of a section of the book of Psalms. Book 2 of Psalms ends with Psalm 72. So you're going to hear it say... This concludes the prayers of David. That I just included it because it's part of Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon, throughout all generations, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. 
the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the Psalms. And thank you for all of your word. But these Psalms have been sung in cities and they have been sung on farmland. They have been sung by the poor. They have been sung by rulers. They have been and are sung by the Jews. They have been and are sung by followers of Jesus. And they're from you. And so we pray that you'll open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear the song. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we dive into this psalm, let me, let me say one other thing. You know, if you look in, um, in a physical Bible at, at the, the psalms, usually at the beginning, not on all of them, but on most of them, there's a little note it's called an ascription at the beginning. Sometimes it might just say something like uh, a, a psalm of David or um, of the sons of Korah. And what that typically means is that it's written by David or it's written by the sons of Korah. The ascription for this psalm, Psalm 72, it just I didn't include it in the bulletin, but it simply says, of Solomon. Now... I saw differences of opinion with really good Old Testament scholars, and I wasn't convinced one way or the other. But that could mean either that Solomon wrote this psalm. You know, we're used to most of them being by David because it says of David. So we take that to mean, ah, that psalm's written by David. Well, this one says of Solomon. Solomon may have written it, or it may have been written by David or somebody else about Solomon. That uh, as David is becoming an old man, some, and some of this shows up in the Bible, as he's becoming an old man, and he hands off the, the monarchy. He hands the reins over to, not who we would have thought, but over to his son Solomon. That certain things were said and, and, and that happened. Some of them sound like the psalm. I'm just going to say, I, I don't know which. But somehow Solomon has something to do with it. It's either by him or it's about him. Okay. And, I, and again, I'm just going to say this. This is a psalm that is unto God, and it talks about God, and it ends by saying, may God's glory you know, be over the whole earth. But it's about an earthly king. It's about an actual human man who's a king of the Jews. So I want to, I want to look at the two things about this king. First off, just the profile how is he described in the psalm? Can't, can't say everything. It's a big psalm. But, but what are some of the big themes about what will this king be like? What's his profile? And then what's the effect when he, takes his, when he sits upon his throne? What's the effect? So let's look at the profile. And I want to look at two things under this of, of what this king is like. I thought about the, calling the first one that he's sovereign. And I'm, I'm going to scratch that term. He is sovereign, but I think that word sounds religious to us, and so it doesn't land the way I want it to land. So let's use the word, he's dominant, and he's very good. He's dominant, and he's very good. Now, let's look at the dominance. Look, first off, look in verse uh, 8. It says, may he have dominion from sea to sea. And from the river, that would be the Euphrates River, to the ends of the earth. 
Now, when, when God gave the promised land to uh, the people of Israel, he gave them a, a pretty good chunk of land. He gave them more land than they ever actually occupied. They never went all the way to the borders of what he gave them. But he did not give them the whole earth. But, but the, the psalmist is saying, I want this king to be king from sea, <laughs> from sea to shining sea, but to the ends of the earth. When, uh, when I was growing up, in, uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, in, in uh, my, my childhood home on Parkhurst Drive, just a few houses down from our house, the street ended. And at the end of the street were the woods. And if, if I have any regret about the neighborhood I live in, I live in a great neighborhood, thankful for our neighborhood, but I wish that our kids had grown up with the woods. The woods were awesome. And I'm 51, and I have no idea how big they are. I've never Google Earthed it to see where they... I don't ever want to know because they were mysterious. The train went past the edge of the woods. We found hobo camps back there. And I mean, like, hobos that jump on trains, hobos. And, like, when you're seven, you find a hobo camp. Well, first, ideally, there's no hobos. But it's very exciting. And there were big pipes that went across gullies and cri- it was just fantastic. Like, who put those pipes out there? I don't know. Maybe King Arthur in the 1300s or something. But uh, but the woods were just this unknown, and I and to this day I have no idea where they stop. You know, th- there were maps hundreds of years ago that at the edge of the drawings of like the main continents, it fades to white, and it'll say something like, "Here there be dragons." It's just like, you know, we, don't, we don't know what's in, in this part, if anything. Okay, those maps are newer than the psalm. The psalmist is saying, wherever the furthest point is, whatever the people there are like, or, or, or other animals, that have, or plants, that we don't know about, cities that we can't imagine what they look like, I want this king to rule them. And look at, look at the dominant language. I mean, first look in 11. May all kings fall down before him. It's one thing when the subjects fall down before you. It's another thing when the kings fall down before you. All nations serve him. Look in verse 9. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Total global dominance. In one man. And he's very, 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 very good. Look at the prayer about him. And then look at how he's described almost as if he's already reigning and doing this. Now, here's the prayer. Go up to verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God. And that's such a cool prayer. Not let him, you know, rally and create a justice. God... Hand him your way of being just, your way of being fair, your way of looking at things impartially, and give it to this king. And your righteousness to the royal son. Look at verse 4. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Because, you know, biblically, 
from stem to stern, when it talks about doing justice, it's not just, yeah, I want my property rights to be defended. I mean, that's true. But part of impartiality is that those who usually get the shaft, the poor, the needy, the oppressed, are protected and vindicated and seen and valued. Okay, so that's the prayer. But then look at how, look down in verse 12. It's like it's already happened. It says, it's almost like he's on the earth doing it. It says, for he delivers the needy when he calls the poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life. And precious in their blood is his sight. Now, understand when it says things like crushing the oppressed, what it's talking about is people who oppress, people who oppress with violence, people who traffic, people that would uh, like maim a child so they could use that child to beg with that child, people that do things like that, he will kill them. Now, if right now you're thinking about uh, college football or lunch or Instagram, it's probably because you have never been oppressed or really been under violence. Let, let me give you a mental picture. Years ago, uh, I saw um, a clip, and I, don't, I can't remember what nation it was, but it was on the African continent. And a woman who had been sexually assaulted by a group of men, sort of against all odds, received justice. And so her assailants were caught, and they were bound. And they were sort of tied, it was, I think it was four of them, they were sort of tied together as a human knot. And she was brought out in front of her community and given a stick. And she beat the, I know what you think I'm about to say. She beat the fire out of them. And I remember, I, I, I didn't know this country or these people, but I remember watching that. You're not feeling like, I, I think you've hit them too much. You're thinking, the guy in the back has not been hit. Hit the guy in the back. I mean, justice is rich. And when someone has not received justice and they get justice, when the poor and the needy are seen, it is nectar. Now, I can't speak for that woman, but I, I would have to think in that moment, if you asked, do you want this or do you want money? She would say, I want this. He says, this king... I, I want him to rule every inch of the earth. But we won't have to be afraid. Because he'll be so good. How will, so how will the earth respond to him if, uh, if the psalmist prayer happens? And it's interesting because he's prayed for Israel, but the psalmist has prayed further out. He's prayed way outside of Israel So he kind of describes the effect of, all right, what's the effect on Israel? And then what's the effect on the whole world? Here's here's some of the effect on Israel. Look in verse 16. And the, the verse before says people are like coming to bring him gold from Sheba. And that's interesting because at least one figure did that with Solomon. 
If you've ever heard of the Queen of Sheba, she came from Sheba and brought gold. So that, in his life, found some fulfillment. But then look at the next verse. It says, verse 16, May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. It's a description of what if every crop was just hitting on all cylinders in Israel. And the barns, the storehouses can't even hold it. What, what if the grain was so big and tall it looks like a forest? There's so much of it. Now, I mean, that might be a pleasant image to you because we don't live in an agrarian world. And, and, and most of our, our personal finances are not wrapped up in land. But boy, if you live in, a, in an agrarian world, that's not just an image of tons of food. That's an image of tons of wealth. <laughs> tons of wealth. But what about the whole world? Look at the next verse. It says, verse 17, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. And get this. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. It's such an interesting image that not just from him they're blessed, but in him, as they're identified with him and they're in his reign, may they be blessed. All the nations. All of them. It, I mean, to, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but it's, I'm, I'm pushing you to say, he's saying like, what if Egyptians feel that way? What if Moabites feel that way? What if Philistines wake up in the morning and they say, I'm so thankful for the king of the Jews. And I love this image that he uses. Look in verse 6. It says, May, may this king, may he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. I think that's a really cool simile. And now I'm not great at yard work. I do, I do like yard work in, you know, certain doses. When you, when you mow a nice patch of grass, and ideally if you mow it and then cross mow it, you know what I'm talking about? Like where there's any little lines, little stragglers that are sticking up. You come back the other way, mow them down, and you get this just like beautifully uniform, straight area of grass. The way that looks is great, I mean, with the sun out, but when it rains on it, it's such an interesting metaphor because it doesn't explain it. But it just, it has connotations of the land has been cared for. Uh, men have done what they need to do on the land, but now God is doing upon the land what only God can do, the rain it needs. Those clippings are going back into the earth. It's the picture of thing, things being cared for and blessed, orderly and real and good. And the psalmist is saying, God, I, I want this king to be this kind of king so that the whole earth feels that about him. What is he like? He's like the grass cared for and watered and things are the way they're supposed to be. Just let him be king. 
Uh, now, I think I know probably where your mind has gone at this point, is, is that this is the part where I say, so, who is this king? It's Jesus. Well, um, good thinking. But I want you to think about the Gospels. Okay, so Jesus comes, and actually he comes, and his message is not about this thing called Christianity. What does he keep talking about? Does he say Christianity has come? He keeps saying the kingdom has come. So why is there a kingdom? Because by his understanding, because the king has come. So the king comes, and he ushers in a kingdom, and he lives, and he dies, and if you know the story, he's raised from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. Did any of this happen? Do all the nations of the earth love and bless Jesus? Please tell me that you know that's not the case. Is Jesus loved and blessed in North Korea? Is Jesus loved and blessed as the king of the Jews in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in the Sudan? No, 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 no. Are all the cities and the crops of the world blessed and overflowing and flourishing? No. So why are we talking about this psalm and who in the world is it about? All right, I want you to think about what's probably happened to everybody in here. I'm about to explain something theological to you. It's a little complicated, but you're big pants people, and you can totally handle it. Have you ever had somebody wave at a person behind you, and you thought they were waving at you? Or they were mouthing something to someone behind you, and you started going, And you know, you know that funny thing that, well, it's not funny to you, but in hindsight, it's funny, is that they were, lo- it, it looked like they were looking at you. You know, it looked like they were talking, aiming it right at you. But the line of vision was right past you, and it was to someone beyond you, right? Did you know that that happens in the Bible? Now, understand and I'm putting my cards on the table. I just feel like I have to say this from time to time. It's a supernatural book. It's a book that says, yeah, here's where matter and energy comes from, but reality is not just made of matter and energy. There are other things and other forces and other beings. In this supernatural book, people sometimes see things that haven't happened yet. And sometimes in the Bible, it will look like someone is seeing into the future and and that they're describing where you are. But they're actually looking past you at something behind you that's even further in the future. And you know what one of the most famous examples of this is? Is when John the Baptist came to get everybody ready for the Messiah. Do you remember the things that John the Baptist said? He says some stuff that makes sense, like, oh, he's going to... He's, gonna, uh, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when he was really preaching and just in John the Baptist mode, he was saying stuff like, His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
and he'll separate the wheat from the chaff, and he'll burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. And listen, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and you can almost see him standing back like, okay, Jesus, go. And so Jesus comes, and he heals, and he teaches, and he serves humbly. And there's no major confrontation with Rome or any other global authority. And it was so baffling and discouraging to John the Baptist. Talk about an understudied passage. When he was in jail from King Herod, he sent a messenger to Jesus to ask him, Are you the one or do we wait for another? Can you believe that? Because he knew what he saw. He saw somebody bringing it. And there's this man that for all the world looks like a Jewish peasant and he serves and he heals and he teaches and there's no, there's no showdown with Rome. And John is saying, I, I know what I saw. But what did John see? John saw the second advent. John looked past his own lifetime and supernaturally he saw one will come and he will separate the wheat from the chaff and there will be a burning and there will be a great rescue. And he was right. It just wasn't happening yet. Psalm 72 It's a mystery. Whether it's Solomon or somebody writing about Solomon, they see it. They're seeing what the king of Israel should look like. He ought to be righteous. And the kings of Israel weren't. The king of Israel was supposed to have his own handwritten copy of the Torah, the law of God, so that he could study it, study it like a to-do list that we study. And go over it and over it so that he would be a righteous man and lead in righteousness. Lord, make the king that way. But make him the kind of king who's not just righteous for the haves, but he's righteous for everybody. He'll do your justice with his peers. And if somebody's oppressed, he'll crush the oppressor. And he'll provide for the poor. And he'll go to bat for the needy. And it'll be so great. And he'll be so powerful. His rule will be so dominant and extensive. That the whole world will feel the benefit of it. And here's the reality. And if you're new to downtown Prez. I would just ask you. If what I'm about to say confuses you. Please keep coming. Because this is the thing that we talk about all the time is that the only way that the king of the Jews could come and do that was to first come and have all the nations call him cursed. The only way that one day all the nations would call him blessed is if he first came and the nations called him cursed. But that's not the main curse. The main curse is that everything wrong not only with his people,
But everything wrong with the world, what the Bible calls the curse, God's own curse, fell on his son at his death. And of all things, as that's happening, he's hanging on a cross of a pagan nation and he's wearing thorns that are the biblical symbol of what? The curse on this earth. And over that is a sign. And of all things, what does the sign say? Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And he takes the curse and he pays for it. So that one day when he comes back, Number one, he will not look like a Jewish peasant. For further reference, read Revelation. But he will come and make all things new. You know, as as Jonathan said, we're here to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Are you waiting for me to tell you what to do? The gospel is not what you do. Now, there is plenty for us to do. And we talk about the things we do. But the gospel is not what you and I do. The gospel is what God has done for us. And the good news is that the king of the Jews will come again and the whole earth will be blessed. And the curse will be no more. Earlier this year, as I mentioned, uh, I got to participate in a trip to Israel and we had this wonderful tour guide. The tour guides in Israel, it's a very competitive position. They're vetted very carefully. And, and I, just, I just really loved the tour guide that we had. This woman, just great personality and just so knowledgeable. And we clicked with her and she clicked with us. And we wanted to steal her and bring her back to Greenville. But when we would go to these different sites in Israel, we would stop and we would look at a passage that related to that spot. And, and someone would lead a devotional. And on one occasion, we were talking about kings, different kings of Israel. And we were talking about how just king after king after king after king, they blow it. They don't follow God's law. They're not righteous. They don't deliver the oppressed. They don't follow the law of God. King after king after king after king after king fails. And... The person leading the devotional said, but you know what? What if there was a king who always kept the Torah? He always loved God and he always loved people. And he always rendered justice for all. And I didn't see this, but some of the people on our tour group looked at our tour guide who is a Zionist Jew. He was born in Jerusalem who grew up in a land whose history is not democracy, it's monarchy. And they saw her wiping the tears that if that could happen, that would be a dream come true. She's a tour guide. She has forgotten more about the Bible than I will ever know. She's never been to Bethlehem. We got to go. You know why she can't go to Bethlehem? Because no one, no one, no one can untie the knot of the Israelis and the Palestinians. It's on the Palestinian side. She can't go. I can't untie that knot. I don't understand that knot. But I bet she feels in her bones, could somebody come and make all things new?
And, and here's the good news. He will. It's not all fixed yet, but I, whatever that means for you, the damage of assault, financial wreckage, physical problems, family wreckage. But zoom the camera out. The Bible's not primarily just about me or us. North Korea. What would we do? Who's going to fix that? Haiti. Somalia. Sub-Saharan Africa. Terrorism. There will be a second advent. The resurrection is the proof. The king of the Jews will come and he will be a blessing to the ends of the earth. Yet there is something that we need to do. Either send money to people to go tell the nations that or go yourself. That there will be no protection from him. But in him is blessing. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, please make this psalm precious to us. Please make your great monarchy precious to us, your kingdom. And Lord Jesus, come quickly and make all things new. We pray this in your name. Amen.